0: Scott Thompson isn't worried about ruffling a few feathers. In
1: fact, he kind of likes it.
0: You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson.
1: On Hamilton's News, today's
2: talk. 900
3: CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Diana Weeks and Lisa Polesky are in the newsroom. Will Erskine is on the board. Nasi now says if you had COVID-19, wait three months to get your booster.
2: Back of the line, Dad. Here's huh. oh, Scott hey, Thompson. I
0: like to teach the world. What happened? I Just getting warmed up. I told the boy to run and grab me a Coca-Cola. Uh, good afternoon, it is 3.09, it is 900 CHML, I'm Scott Thompson, it's Hamilton Today, how you doing? And uh, Will Erskine is on the board and in the newsroom watching the world spin, Lisa Puleski and Diana Weeks, feel free to jump into the conversation, we would love to hear from you. Uh, lots going on and uh, lots of hype going on. <laughs> Oh my goodness. And you know, um, uh, I just thought that that song uh, was apropos. For those of you that are old enough to remember it, it uh, I believe it was in the 1970s and there was lots of turmoil in the world and this, that and the other, much like there is um, all the time or at any given time and and oddly enough, I, uh, you know um, just a sidetrack here uh, you know, back then I think in the 1970s there were people whining, oh we can't bring kids into the world just like they're whining about it now imagine if our ancestors thought that, you may not even be here today. I digress uh, the, uh, the, the song, in case you don't remember it was part of a Coke commercial where they brought all these people together from various parts of the world and uh, I think uh, the Seekers, the New Seekers eventually did the song or recorded the song, and they had all of them sing a verse, and uh, it it sort of took off in the 1970s as a a song of peace and a song of unity and a song of listening to each other and what they had to say, as opposed to uh, what we're seeing now with... uh, you know, uh, one side not willing to meet with the other side and talk about what the differences are and try to come to, to a solution. So I don't know. What do you do if uh, nobody wants to talk to anybody? Do you go back to prospective sides and load up? I mean, it's nuts. It's nuts that, uh, this Ottawa convoy has gotten to the the extent that it has. It should have been addressed. The people should have been addressed. Their thoughts and and concerns should have been addressed way back when. Uh, and instead, you know, the prime minister chose to ignore this and, and walk away. And, and we have what we have. And people want to be heard. It's, it doesn't matter what your, political stripe is it doesn't matter from what corner of the planet you come from and you know it's so sad because I don't think any of this uh, had to get to the extent that it is and um, you know listening to the news media now it's there you know they're barking like the the circus is coming to town uh, and I don't know is it a circus or World War two three sorry so you know again it's time for everybody to take a step back Again, Angus Reid poll says 54% of us want to just move on with our lives. We're vaccinated. We're triple vaxxed. Nasi coming out today saying, if you're uh, fully vaxxed and have got or had the disease, that includes me, then you you can't get vaxxed uh, boosted for another three months. Minimal. So that means at least till mid-March for me. So why don't we just all take a step back and stop... Uh, peeing on those that don't agree with us or, you know, think the same way that we do. Uh, I mean, I think it's just disgusting. I think it's just disgusting that it has been allowed to get to where it has. And, you know, I'm embarrassed for the mayor of Ottawa. I mean, you know, the man's just standing up there babbling the obvious, telling everybody just to go home. That's not a plan. That's not a solution. I mean, you know, it's as if he's living in some sort of fantasy world. And, you know, and it's the same for the prime minister. I I, I don't understand why you can't just, you know, put out an olive branch, try to get some sort. You don't have to agree with them. You don't have to do what they tell you to do. But you negotiate. Imagine if this was the attitude down at the Ukraine-Russia border. Imagine if people weren't talking. People weren't at least trying to have some sort of diplomacy here. And instead, you know, we paint them all with the same brush, that they're all waving Nazi flags and, you know, uh, Confederate flags and, you know, peeing on Terry Fox and what have you. I don't think anybody's for that or desecrations of statues, whether it's Terry Fox or John A. MacDonald. You know, the point is we've got to listen to each other. And it seems the prime minister has painted this utopian world of Canada That he knows what hot buttons to hit with Canadians. And if you don't agree on his way of doing things, then you're the enemy. And that's what we're seeing the result of. We have an extraordinarily amount of, extraordinary amount of people vaccinated and we're fighting. We're fighting. You know why? Because we're seeing political parties jockey for position on both sides. So, uh, you know, again, if you're in power, reach out and listen. At least try to move it forward as opposed to hunkering down. I mean, you know, how are they going to resolve issues? And if you don't negotiate, then it's war. So have, has everybody in Ottawa just, okay, that's it. Let's bring in the troops and just blast them out. Is that, is that what this is going to be? Sooner or later, two sides are going to have to talk. And we're leaving it up to the people on the street, the police officers, to solve this problem. It's the Prime Minister's problem. It's time to change the direction of things. Nobody's telling you to give in to anybody. Nobody's telling you what to do. Just meet with people. Get the two sides together. Unify. Instead we're and then the media's just jumping on, it's a big show. Well we know what we're covering for the weekend. It's almost embarrassing. It's embarrassing what we've let our leadership do to us as Canadians. Instead of celebrating, we're dividing. I don't get it. I don't get it and I don't understand well I do how it got to here. When there's an issue, Scott is all in on getting to the heart of it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott
1: Thompson. On Hamilton's News, Today's Talk. 900 CXM1.
0: right, just as uh, Ontario reopens and Black History Month begins, I want to reintroduce you to Black-owned. This was started by the Montague Sisters and celebrates Black-owned businesses and entrepreneurs. Abigail Montague is with us now. Abigail, thanks for the time. I hope you're well.
4: Hi, Scott. I'm well. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. Thanks for taking the time today. We appreciate that. So uh, in case I haven't obviously given it the depth, give us a little history about Black-Owned and what it's all about.
4: Sure. So Black-Owned started in June 2020 following Blackout Tuesday after the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter um, protests. And we decided to celebrate, showcase, support, and explore Black-owned businesses here in the Hamilton and greater area. And I am today also joined by my sister, Ashley Montague, as well. Hi, Scott. So,
0: hey, how are you, Ashley? Good to talk to you again.
3: Yes, yeah, nice to speak with you as well.
0: <laughs> so this has now been up and running for a couple of years now. What have you discovered? And, and you know, I, I, well, uh, we know the objective and what you're trying to do here and bring every awareness to uh, black-owned businesses and entrepreneurs, give them a place to speak and come together and, and and such. But what have you learned about this experience doing it over the last ten, uh, two years?
3: Great question. Uh, So we actually embarked on a feasibility study early last year and doing that study, we had 105 businesses respond and we seen um, where they really needed help in terms of skill development, as well as access to resources um, and access to new customer bases. And so we launched our um, pop up markets. Uh, end of summer into fall and the winter season, end of last year. And we saw that that was a great help in um, bringing businesses, the customers they need, and also more opportunities. Uh, For example, um, businesses that were featured at our markets has opportunities to be in storefronts now. And so, I mean, that's amazing.
0: You've opened up quite a network here. Are you surprised by the amount of feedback and, and response you've got?
3: Um,
4: personally, I think that the Hamilton community as a whole, um, within the two years during the pandemic, we have really seen everybody come together. So as much as it is a surprise, it isn't. Um, everyone is coming together, wants to see everyone thrive, especially our local businesses and especially our local black businesses and BIPOC businesses. So, um, we're glad that everyone's supporting everyone and yeah.
0: Do you, how do you think the how do you think this has worked well or why this has worked well in the midst of a uh a, a global pandemic was the timing right here for you
4: yeah i believe so or is I that think or is pandemic. that irrelevant no i think that the pandemic has really opened up uh the time for people to educate themselves and really slow down um, as well as learn more about mm. themselves but around about the communities that they live in and spending their money and their resources within their communities as we haven't been able to travel much. Um, So taking advantage of that for the businesses that we have here in Hamilton um, and the community to support those businesses has really been good. And I think the pandemic allowed that to be a possibility.
0: And is black owned something that goes uh, is in other countries, other cities, other, whatever, is this a franchise? Is this something you've started on your own?
3: Excellent question. So uh, specifically the one in Hamilton, yes. Um, this is something that we've started on our own, but there are similar organizations that are popping up around uh, different cities, different regions across the country, and I'm sure similar things of the sort uh, internationally. Um, for example, neighboring communities such as uh, Toronto has Black-owned Toronto, and she has really established a storefront Um aspect to supporting the businesses where she includes various black owned products in a few storefronts in uh, the greater toronto area Um, whereas we through black owned in addition to wanting to give access to storefront for the businesses we're also focusing in on skill development um, with our upcoming launch of our of our new program focused on black youth entrepreneurs and it's not About the age, it's about the stage. So youth for us is 18 to 39.
0: (laughs) So talk about that and what you've got going on this month.
3: A hundred percent. So we'll be uh, launching the registration for the training program called Trailblazer, and it's under our Black Youth Entrepreneurship Hub, which we're coining Bay. Um, as I'm, as I mentioned before, we're really focusing in on helping businesses that have already launched and are looking for the skills and the resources and those connections to help them get to the next level. So um, it's not a startup program and it's not a scale-up program. We're really focusing on those businesses in between. Um, Abby can also share some of the other things we got going on this month.
4: So in honor of Black History Month, uh, Black Owned has launched uh, their Black Owned Black History Merch, uh, which is just celebrating the different melanin skins, as it has lots of colors of browns, and that was designed by a local young artist named Aaron Perry. Um, Instead of a pop-up market, which is what we would have loved to have done this month, um, we're doing a Black Owned History box. And so that box is um, a box that has different products from different businesses in the Hamilton and greater area. And in that box, you can find our sweaters, body butters, soaps. Um, We also have additions for kids as well as for self-care and self-love as February is not only a month to celebrate Black history, but a month to celebrate love
0: blkowned.ca to find out more. Black owned ham on Abigail and Ashley Montague. Uh congratulations, man. It's amazing to see how uh this thing has taken off. All the best in the future and uh getting through this global pandemic. Thanks so much, girls. Thanks,
4: Thanks so you. much, Scott.
0: All right. Fascinating, uh, turn of events as we're seeing, uh, in Ottawa, uh, and, you, you know, maybe across the country. An Angus Reid poll out the other day, over 50% of people say that it's time to move on and, uh, and get on with our lives. Uh, many vaccinated, uh, and, and have come down with this disease and, and, and then moved on and such. Uh, and a fascinating column by Randall, uh, Denley in the National Post. It's time to stop excluding the unvaccinated. Uh, from society, and he is with us uh, now. Randall, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well.
5: I am, Scott. I don't live downtown, fortunately, so I don't have to listen to car (laughs) horns non-stop.
0: I can imagine what it's like there. Uh, Are are you surprised it's got to where it has, um, and uh, are you surprised that things haven't been done to cool this down long ago?
5: Yeah, in a way I'm surprised it didn't happen before, because we've been in this almost two years now. Canadians have put up with an awful lot from government To me, they've just done so many irrational, useless things. They've done some good things, but a lot of the things they do just don't make sense. And the thing that in part triggered this uh, trucker protest is a, you know, a a rule that, well, you you gotta be fully vaccinated across the border now if you're a trucker. Well, okay, but we never had that up to now, so what's the current emergency? Oh no, the Americans are gonna do it. Okay, couldn't we have said to the Americans, well, that's a bad idea. We're not going to do it. That's going to hurt commerce between the two countries. No, no, no. The prime minister got on board. It's a a pandemic restriction, a mandate. I'm for that. Let's do that. And I think, you know, most truckers, like most people, are vaccinated. Some of them aren't. But my question about all these things always is, if we're going to do something that disadvantages people, show me what it accomplishes. And in this case, I think it accomplishes Nothing. And in my column in the Post uh, today, I- I'm making essentially the same point about continuing to shun people who are unvaccinated, to you know, keep them out of as many public places as we can, treat them like second-class citizens. Yeah, I think it's really time to say, well, what are we accomplishing by doing this? Because I think an important thing that hasn't necessarily sunk in with everybody and certainly not with everybody in government is that you know, people with two shots of um, pandemic protection, they're just as likely to give you the virus as somebody who has none. Yeah. So when we go back to the uh, the passport system as, you know, the Ontario government plans to do, like who are we protecting really? You know, if I go into a gym now or a restaurant look around and say, Oh, this is great, all these people got two shots, maybe even three. Well, three isn't too bad, but two, well, I'm no better off with them with their masks off in the gym or the restaurant than I am with people who aren't vaccinated. So why do we lock the vaccinated people out? I know a lot was said when this started that, well, you know, we're we're nudging them. We're encouraging them. We are putting some pressure on them to get vaccinated. Mm -hmm. We we hit a wall on that. There's a hardcore people who will not get vaccinated. But Scott was always knowing that, right? When when this started. And and what...
0: and, and it just it seems that rather than celebrating the fact that we've got so many people vaccinated, like I remember at the beginning of this pandemic, people were talking we would be lucky if we got 50 or 60 percent vaccinated. The fact that we have the numbers as high as we have some of the highest in the world vaccination rates. And for some reason, the prime minister keeps vilifying the last, uh, you know, 10 percent that haven't been vaccinated. And, you know, it's about the crumbling uh, national health care system that's in need of a funding formula change. But this seems to be a distraction. Let's blame the unvaccinated rather than the politicians that can't fix the health care system at this point.
5: If you see a group of people that people seem to be hating right now, then Trudeau will be the first guy to rush to the head of the parade and say, yeah, I hate them even more than you. Let me tell you how bad they are. Yeah. What does that contribute? He's a
0: very polarized, I, I find, I, like, you know, and I, I don't like saying this because I'm being just as polarizing, but it seems that he's he, he's a very polarizing leader. Uh, that that it, It's not about the, the safety of the city, the safety of Canada, Ottawa, or Canada. You know, it's about everybody doing what he wants them to do. And what's the goal here? Do you honestly think you're going to get 100% of the population vaccinated? Even China hasn't done that.
5: anywhere. And we're at 89% in Ontario. So we basically hit our aggressive 90% goal. Like you said, big success story. Let's be happy with what we've accomplished. And also happy that we're in a position where, you know, we're not as safe as we like to be. But the unvaccinated people are not contributing an overwhelming burden. Yes, they're overrepresented in hospital in the ICU. But they're a minority in both those groups, and when you look at the case rate, you know how many cases per per hundred thousand people, it's about the same whether you're vaccinated, partially vaccinated, unvaccinated. We really are all on the same boat again, you know. We we used to say this: we're all in this together. And then we say, no, no, you're locked outside. We're in it together hmm. again. We just haven't figured that out yet, or officially admitted it, because I like think a lot of politicians have. Invested a lot of political capital in the idea that vaccines, they're going to solve the problem. Everybody gets vaccinated. This goes away. We're all good. We haven't probably sufficiently reacted to the fact that, okay, yes, I mean, they're useful. They protect us against sickness and death. A couple of big things there, but we're still going to get infected. All kinds of people who are fully vaccinated got infected in the last couple of months. And the protection that we were told was, you know, 89%. There's less than half that now. Those vaccines have waned pretty quickly. And it would be surprising to me if the third dose doesn't do the same thing because it's the same vaccine. So we're not nearly as bulletproof as we thought we were when we made the righteous choice to get vaccinated. I mean, it's a choice that makes sense to me. I did. I've got my three shots. I think people are unnecessarily putting themselves at risk if they don't do it. But yeah. what is what are we achieving now, really, in practical terms, yeah. health and safety terms, by continuing to pound on these people. And the fact that Trudeau hasn't been willing to well I'm sorry, he has to recover from COVID, but when he does, he should be going and talking to these people. Just actually hear what they've got to say or send someone out to do it. Somebody senior. Yeah. He's just sort of, you know, locked away at home there, firing away through the media. They're not a fringe group, as he likes to call them. And that poll you referred to, I thought, was very interesting and significant. Angus Reid poll, 54% of people in Ontario, same number across the country, think the time to get rid of vaccine rules is now. That's a lot of people. The only area that doesn't have the majority is Atlantic Canada, which curiously has the lowest rates of COVID. But, you know, I think the public is moving on this. And I think Trudeau in particular is way beyond the, behind the curve when he's talking about more restrictions, more rules, more punishments. But the other one, Scott, that's ridiculous is making people who come back into the country from travel, you, you know, you got to get a test before you come in. Okay, what, what are we accomplishing? We've already got Omicron up the wazoo here, so if somebody else comes home with it, it's not going to make much difference. Yeah. Well, you, yeah, but you could be randomly selected for yet another test when you get here, because the one you took yesterday, who knows? It just
0: Randall Denley with, with us. Rules
5: that don't make sense. There's just too many of them.
0: Randall Denley with us, author and columnist at the Ottawa Citizen and the National Post, and the latest is uh, it's time to stop excluding the unvaccinated from our society. Randall, thank you for the time. Be well. My pleasure, Scott. Thanks a lot. I think uh, for years we've been talking about uh, falcons at the Sheridan, and uh, it was so cool way back when, many, many years ago now, that uh, this was first discovered. and, And then, of course, they put a camera up there, a falcon cam to kind of watch everything that was going on. And then it sort of became an annual event. And, and every year we could just expect the, they were named and everything, these, these falcons to come back and, and, uh, and mate and hatch and, and, uh, watch them take their first flight. At least we hope they did. Uh, anyway, so, uh, we learned last week that one of those falcons, uh, Lily had passed away after I think about 11 years. But as soon, unfortunately, and this is the circle of life in nature, as soon as uh, Lily is gone, another one jumps in to uh, take the place pretty quickly. And that's what's been happening on uh, at the high levels of the Sheridan Hotel in downtown Hamilton. So let's give you a an update. Jackson Hudecki is with us, Bird Study Group director for the Hamilton Naturalist Club and is with us now. Jackson, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well.
1: Yeah, thanks. I'm doing great. You know, uh, snow day here—no shortage of birds, that's for sure.
0: So, uh, when we last chatted, unfortunately, we had lost Lily, and uh, and and her reign on on the on the towers w- was over. But soon after, you noticed more activity. Start us there, and and what happened?
1: Yeah. So when I was on with you uh, not too long ago, yeah, we were talking about the the passing of Lily, and. Yeah, like uh, another peregrine was hanging around the the male, and uh, sure enough, that that other peregrine was a female, and it had everybody just going a little bit bonkers of who was this new bird, and it was a, it was a little bit bigger. than than the male that was sitting there. And luckily, because a lot of these birds uh, are banded, which means they've got some ID on their their feet that we can see, we were able to get close looks. And sure enough, it was determined that the, the new bird hanging around was indeed a female and identified as a lady named McKeever. And she's been hanging around quite a bit on the ledge of the Sheridan with Judson. Uh, I guess McKeever is only a few years old she was born in 2019 so she's three I think Judson's four years old so we've got two birds in breeding age in breeding habitat hanging out in Hamilton right now
0: and was McKeever on the scene before Lily disappeared.
1: Great question. Um, there was some sightings of a of, uh, uh, of another bird in the area, and it, no one really knew what exactly what was what was going on. Um, and sure enough, then with with finding Lily um, and 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 her in the status that she was. Uh, yeah, like that, it kind of, you can, you can kind of draw that line officially to the fact that that there was likely a territorial battle with the two females.
0: Oh, wow. And unfortunately, Lily didn't make it. So this is typical, uh, circle of life stuff, I guess, is it?
1: This is typical... Uh, this is something that, that, yeah, I mean, like, we're lucky that we get to witness it right here Mm. in in downtown Hamilton. Um, we're lucky that we've got those cameras and we've got the, the Hamilton community, um, the, the Hamilton, Hamilton community Peregrine project who has been established for, for years now. So they've got those cameras installed there and they were able to get an up close look at what's going on. Um, so, so you know, if this was happening on a cliffside, we may not even know. Heck, there's mm. there's a second nest in the city of Hamilton, over at the lift bridge, on like by the Skyway, where another nesting pair of peregrines has existed for for several years. We don't know a ton about that couple, um, so we're we're lucky to know enough about about this couple, them, which is good. So, I-
0: any reason to believe that this couple is offspring of previous uh, nests that have been there?
1: It has actually been determined that Judson is the grandson oh, wow. uh, of um, the the uh, previous <laughs> of, of Madam X and Serge, which was the long-standing pair that has lived that lived in Hamilton for for quite a while. Uh, so Felker uh, was born of Madam X and Serge. Felker took off, created his own nest. And had Judson and now Judson is in Hamilton. He's the grandson. I don't like you know, I don't know how this gets figured out by, by birds. I don't like they, they probably don't know, but it's neat wow. to know that we know and we know that this is the grandson of a, of that Hamilton legacy couple.
0: So is there a cam we can go on online and watch what's going up there now?
1: There is. Um, Falcons.HamiltonNature.org you can go right now and and check out there's there's two cameras that you could be watching um one of them is live stream but they the other they both kind of refresh every every 20 or 30 seconds or so yeah um yeah it's cool and there's yeah there's there's a bit of a there's a bit of an issue occurring where um where a plant is growing in the in this in this in the stoop in the in the nesting spot Uh and it's kind of it's it's something that is obstructing the view a little bit um but there's no word as to what's going to happen there right now but you can see the plant you can see you can see some views of hamilton and every once in a while the birds will land there and that's how we were able to identify mckeever and the other cool hamilton connection i'll tell you about is mckeever was named after the late Kay mckeever who helped form the owl foundation which is a, a center out in grimsby that rehabs owls and raptors, other birds of prey, who have been injured in the wild. And this is an amazing foundation right here, locally that that helps um, that helps these wild birds return back into the wild. So it's it's cool to know that that, that McKeever, who was born not in Hamilton, born out near Buffalo, about uh, Buffalo way, or uh, sorry, Detroit way, has made her way here. So uh, and an, hmm. another neat connection.
0: Uh, Jackson Hudecki with us, Bird Study Group Director at the Hamilton Naturalist Club and uh, HamiltonNature.org to find out more. Fascinating story, Jackson. Thanks for sharing. Be well.
1: Thank you so much, and thanks for having me on the show.
0: If Scott Thompson isn't satisfied with an answer, he'll delve into the issue until he is. You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. Olympics are underway uh, in their little bubble, in their little sealed Tupperware container. Uh, Very bizarre to watch uh, what is going on, but nonetheless, the athletes are there and the games have begun. However, very odd as the Olympics get underway, uh, shots of the Russian president and uh, the president of China. shoulder-to-shoulder, shoulder, uh, for a photo op and calling on NATO to halt further expansion to talk about all of this. Elliot Tepper is with us, political science, Carleton University, and with us now. Elliot, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. I'm well,
6: thank you, and same to you.
0: So your thoughts when you saw this picture, considering where we are right now, with the tension along the Ukraine-Russia and Russia border, the Olympics getting under the uh, underway, there's the shot of the two presidents standing shoulder-to-shoulder. Shoulder. What, what kind of message is that sending?
6: Well, you want the big picture is, what you're seeing is a picture of the future according to them. This is the um, alliance of autocrats that's going to shape the future. They are quite explicit. I've spent quite some time going through the final communique that the Russians released. Uh, There's kind of a short-term and a long-term message coming out, but in terms of that image and what you're you're asking about is, they plan to uh, put forth quite an alternative version of the future. Uh, multipolarity has to be accepted now. It's not just the old hegemon anymore of the U.S. Uh, that they these two are going to work shoulder to shoulder, and um, they're going to um, set the terms for the future. And they've laid out some plans to do so. That's the the, the big picture. The shorter term picture uh, is that they had this meeting. Uh, publicly, then they went in and talked for four hours at a summit meeting and they thrashed out an awful lot of things. I'll be glad to go over what I think some of that was.
0: Yes. What's in this for these two? Why would they team up this way in this public display?
6: Well, at the sh- in the short term, what's in it for them is that, the, uh, <laughs> what's in it for them is, again, to shear away a lot of the verbiage, uh, Russia has agreed to support. China and its claims on Taiwan. Uh, China has agreed to support Russia in terms of saying no NATO along the border. They agree on that. They then also came up with an escape valve in case uh, America and the West, including us, slap sanctions on. So if sanctions are the threat against an invasion uh, of Ukraine, there's now an off-ramp for that, an alternative for that. Uh, These. There's lots of other things buried away in, in these joint communiques, but the, uh, the short-term picture is they're going to work together to thwart any efforts to uh, to stop the emergence of China as a superpower or Russia and its goals, whatever they may be, in regard to Ukraine and, and its neighborhood.
0: And how are the allies uh, reacting to this?
6: Uh, I think it's all just being uh, digested. We should just pause for a moment and remind ourselves it's almost exactly one year ago today that the director of Canada's, what the, you know, the spy agency CSIS uh, came out and publicly said that while we're still concerned about issues of terrorism and the normal threats to uh, security and safety, the big concern for him now has to do with the basically malign behavior of, and he named them Russia and China, in terms of intellectual Mm. property, theft, and influence operations inside our own country. What we have now is an emerging uh, closer and closer relationship between both uh, Russia and China in trying to stave off that kind of an assertion and reactions taken against it. They are trying to preserve and expand their own situation in regard to confronting, as I say, the future of the world as they see it.
0: Man, it's amazing how this has all changed uh Elliot in the sense that you know uh the, the west was hoping to partner with China even 10, 20, 30 years ago and hoping oh, yes. that when the exchange of Hong Kong back to China's hands that they would learn something from Hong Kong and be more like them as opposed to the opposite. Now China's partnering with Russia. Um how concerned are you?
6: Is is there any, what is new about this? I think what's new about it is that These two are also competitors as well as potential partners. Yeah. they, uh, You know, among other things, it's very, very quietly, but I I noticed the other day that um, China is moving in on what used to be called Soviet Central Asia, the stands, and becoming the number one partners there. That's considered to be uh, Putin's sphere of influence. So they are in many ways competitors. But the fact that, um, and, and we should also go back to 2014, at the time of Crimea, uh, Russia really needed help. And China said, we're here to help. We'll buy a lot of your oil and gas. So mm-hmm. what was announced today was we're going to buy a whole lot more of each of those. And there's specific plans announced, very detailed ones. But if you go back then, yes, China says we're going to help. We really need that oil and gas. We are the biggest com- consumers of those in the world. Boy, did they drive a hard, hard bargain <laughs> when when Russia was on its back foot. Also, uh, we need to look a bit sideways. This is an emerging, budding relationship that shows up in other ways. That not not very long ago, uh, these two countries, that is, China and Russia, had, along with Iran, naval exercises in the Gulf of Oman. That is where the where the big oil supplies come out of the Middle East, and basically in the waters just off India and Pakistan. So they are already working together in mil- in a military sense uh, that think needs to be monitored
0: elliot tepper with us political science carlton university talking about the olympics getting underway and a photograph of the uh russian president and uh, as well as the president of china together uh talking about a new partnership elliot more on this has to come out soon we'll be chatting you take care be well
6: oh thank you and same to you and uh, yes everybody
0: be well Fascinating to see how uh, things are changing uh, post-holidays, post-Omni, Omni, omni, (laughs) post-Omicron variant, Omicron variant. And uh, as uh, a lot of us got this uh, disease coming out of the Christmas holidays or during the Christmas holidays, um, many people have changed their opinion on this. And, And as Dr. Bonnie Henry says, Dr. Kieran Moore says, we have to learn just to live with this disease moving forward, as so many of us. And thank goodness and congratulations to all of you uh that are fully vaccinated and enabling us to to get through but you know again i've talked many times that you know we, we've been spending so much time talking about the few that aren't vaccinated we're really distracting from the big uh the big issue which is canadian the canadian health care system and it seems everybody's so busy patting themselves on the back because it's universal uh we're neglecting what the health care workers have been saying for decades and that it is is in it's been neglected It's underfunded. And we have uh, hallway medicine and lineups uh, and paramedics waiting to drop off patients before a pandemic even starts. Of course, you have no surge capacity when it comes to a situation like we've all been living through. It seems that now that's finally getting the attention, uh, although it may not be getting the attention of politicians, it's certainly getting the attention of of the public. And oddly enough, today, uh, just minutes ago, there was a a virtual premier's conference, uh, and it was led by John Horgan, uh, NDP leader from British Columbia who's just come out of of cancer treatment his second bout with that disease and they are hammering the federal government to do something about this to somehow jig the funding formula whether it's adding more private whether it's getting more from the federal government uh, in order to deal with this problem that virtually every single province has let's bring in Andrew Enns. they've done some research on this executive VP of Leger and with us now Andrew thank you for the time I hope you're well. Very well, Scott. Thanks for having me on the uh, on the program again. So it, it seems that our, our tone is changing now. What are you finding as far as what Canadians think of their healthcare system?
7: Well, yeah, and your uh, your intro is fantastic in terms of sort of summing things up. But but we did some polling. You know, I'll say right off the top, it was commissioned by the premiers. But uh, we uh, we did some polling uh, on how Canadians feel about their system. We asked a question in terms of over the past five years how do they feel things have gone in terms of getting improving or worsening or staying the same? And 56% uh, nationally said things have worsened over the past five years. You know, in your province, 53%, still a majority feel things have gotten worse over the past five years. And, and obviously I think the pandemic, as you, as you sort of put, has sort of put a real exclamation point on things. And, uh, you know, almost 80% nationally are saying that, uh, you know the pandemic has really challenged, uh, really challenged their their healthcare systems. You know, eighty-one percent in you know, Ontario feel the pandemic has uh, significantly challenged the healthcare system. So, you know, as we as the pandemic hopefully uh, you know uh, you know starts to diminish as a uh, as a focal point, I think there's going to be some really hard questions asked about the uh, the state of the system
0: and fascinating and how timely of this uh premier's meeting today all together and that's what they're talking about uh under the leadership of john horgan that they they want some sort of changes here it seems to be gaining more traction because for the longest time canadians used to pat themselves on the back of how great this was and, and never really listened to the healthcare workers who were screaming we need more help here uh it really seems that we've now at least acknowledge that would that are it fair to say
7: well for sure like i i think certainly from from the the you know the the, the canadian the general public pers- uh, perspective they do expect to see some significant investments mean, In over over 70 percent feel that uh, that the system needs some significant uh investments to uh to repair things uh you know certainly the pandemic. Created some real pain points with uh, backed up surgeries and procedures. The, as you've said a couple of times, the whole HR situation with doctors and nurses and and the and the stresses there. Uh, premiers know that that their electorate, their voters, their citizens in their provinces are uh, you know are feeling this, and so the premiers are are um, yeah, I think they're you know they're going hard at the federal government. The federal government's share in healthcare spending has declined over the years um, to, you know, a point now where we, in our survey, we tested a number at, you know, at 22% Canadians do feel that's enough.
0: And so move on with that 22% believe that the federal government currently provides an adequate amount of funding to provinces and territories.
7: So let me, you know, let me, you know, clarify that. Like, so right now, the, the federal government uh, provides about 22% of the total right. healthcare spending. Right. And uh, 56 Canadians feel that's not that's not fair. That's yeah. not, uh, you know, that's not part of, uh, you know, sort of the, the, the cooperative sharing of the healthcare burden. And so I think you're seeing the provinces starting to use the combination of the, the pandemic pressures and that growing sense that things aren't right in the healthcare system with some of this, uh, this situation in terms of spending. And they're, they're going to put some pressure on the federal government.
0: And it's interesting, too, that 82% of us, although we love our healthcare system, are worried about getting sick, are worried that, you know, if we need this, uh, it w- won't, it w- what we need may not be there in a timely manner.
7: Well, you know, and absolutely. And that's the I mean, that's kind of the human toll, I think, Scott, that that we you know, we've talked um, almost as much about sort of the infections in the health side of the pandemic. We've talked about the mental health impact of the pandemic. And factor in the fact that you've got 82 percent of Canadians saying that you know they worry about uh, about accessing uh, you know the, the care when they need it you know and it might not be just for them it might be for their parents or, or for their kids and and uh, yeah it's it's not a it's not a good situation and I think I think the provinces uh, you know are certainly they've probably been feeling it probably more so um, but I think they really want to drive home the point to the federal government that that this is something that needs to be looked at.
0: Uh, do you feel that this is something that is gaining momentum? Uh, do you think if you take a a poll in a month from now, you'll see more of this or as we get out of the pandemic, things settle down that this will subside?
7: I think this is going to hang around post pandemic for at least a while. and uh, and my my reasoning for that, Scott, is that you know, wait lists, the backlogs, the stresses on um, on uh, you know staff, that's not going to go away. Just like that. Those things are going to stick with us and they're going to be in the in the news and you're going to you're going to hear frustrations from people who are waiting, you know, months, if not years for uh, for what should be not that uh, not that complicated surgery.
0: Andrew Enns is with us, executive VP of Leger. Uh, and again, uh obviously it seems that uh the tide is turning when it comes to uh what we think of our healthcare system as well uh in a post-pandemic world. Andrew, thanks for the time. Be well. Really appreciate it. Have a good weekend. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. All right. Uh, We certainly know what is happening in Ottawa and uh, rumors flying around that it's going to hit other cities uh, across uh, the country and such uh, coming up over the weekend. We'll see what uh, materializes there. Uh, Let's bring in Phil Gursky uh, to talk about, um, I guess, more officers coming in and what can be done to move this all forward in a peaceful manner. Phil Gursky, president of Borealis Threat and uh, Risk Consulting, director of the University of Ottawa Security Program, former CSIS analyst, and with us now. Phil, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Very well, Scott. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much again. Uh, Is anybody in the background trying to mediate a solution to this? Is somebody going around with intelligence saying, okay, that person seems to be in charge, that person, let's get those three or four together and meet in a back room and, and try to come up with a solution?
8: Let's hope so. I, I think, you know, um, Scott, you were seeing the demonstrations on at the, at the border in Alberta. We're seeing Toronto might be a convoy. Quebec City might have a convoy. This is becoming whack-a-mole in many ways. I, I'm, I'm yeah. confident that the law enforcement are doing their best to identify the so-called leaders of whatever these convoys are. The problem is, is that because disparate elements have latched onto these truckers' convoys, it's yeah. not sure that if, that those disparate elements have leaders, which means you're not quite sure to whom to talk to get some kind of a you know a result or a solution to this kind of thing so it's a moving target um we'll see what guess what happens at least in Ottawa they're going to crack down on incoming vehicles not to make it any worse and that's that's a good development for Ottawa uh,
0: more RCMP being added we're hearing uh, up to 150 police officers what can we expect what are they going to do I mean it appears to this point they're writing minor tickets uh and I don't know what that's going to accomplish w- what is this uh increase in law enforcement uh, hoping to do
8: Well, showing an increased presence is always a good thing. It means you're serious. My understanding is that they're going to perhaps bring some vehicles in to prevent more other vehicles from joining the convoy, i.e. to sort of keep it at a bare minimum as it is right now. So some truckers have left. The the numbers have gone down. They don't want to see a repeat performance of last weekend where hundreds, if not thousands of vehicles add to this problem and the the gridlock in downtown Ottawa. And you just want to show these people, okay, if have had your say, um, you know, we've been tolerant so far because you haven't done anything dumb, like anything violent. But this really has to stop. So let's, let's just have a conversation and, and bring it into this.
0: Uh, are you surprised that it has gotten to this point, that it wasn't, you know, the, it wasn't defueled uh, a long time ago? Um, you know, even as far as, you know, the other day we're seeing them erect structures there. Uh, you know, as you said, they're not letting anything more into the site. Um, it seems odd that they were, little, you know, it's, it's as if they didn't assume this was going to uh, be as big as it, it was or as serious as it is.
8: That's a really good point, Scott. So I don't know what the intel was showing, uh, you know, in the days leading up to the car. We all knew it was happening. We all knew they're driving across the province to come to Ottawa. So it, it kind of befuddles me a little bit that they wouldn't have known a little bit more about who was, you know, who's who in the Zoom, what they were planning to do. Maybe the intel wasn't there. Maybe they simply didn't have the sources that they could determine that, you know, they would be building structures. They'd be bringing jerry cans of fuel and bringing in coolers of food kind of thing. Maybe they were caught somewhat unawares. I I don't want to criticize law enforcement intelligence. I don't know what they knew, and what they didn't know. But certainly it does seem that some people will be there for the long run because they feel until they're until the government caves, they're not going to go anywhere.
0: So, uh, as you mentioned, there's chances and we don't want to add to any of this or fuel any fire, but there's room for other protests that could start throughout the weekend. How do those cities prepare for that?
8: wow how much time do we have I, I know ottawa police have begged people not to counter protest downtown because that's just going to make things get uglier than they are right now but they can certainly establish barricades and so that you know these trucks and these convoys simply cannot join the critical mass that's sitting in front of parliament hill on wellington street front the downtown core and maybe they'll have to you know do their protest in a parking lot somewhere else but what you don't want to do is, is is to feed this beast right now it's like i say it's been decreasing over the week let's, let's make sure it doesn't get any bigger otherwise you're just playing whack-a with the same weekend after weekend,
0: how do you think this is going to end in Ottawa?
8: Well, let me check my crystal ball, Scott. Um, <laughs> I, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic it'll end peacefully. There may be the odd idiot. Who decides yeah. to do something stupid, you know, like maybe, a, you know, reach out, lash out at somebody so far, as I said, the worst that's is been harassment and that not, I'm not dismissing harassment, but nothing really, really violent has taken place. Nothing extreme has taken place. I'm just hoping that cooler heads prevail and that once they see the increased police presence, they'll say, OK, been there, done that, got the T-shirt, made our point. Maybe it's time to go home right now.
0: Let's hope so. Phil Gursky with us, President of Borealis Threat and Risk uh, Consulting, Director of the University of Ottawa Security Program for uh, former CSIS analyst. We didn't even get to talk about ISIS. Next time, Phil. Thanks Next so time, much. Kai. Be well. <laughs> yeah, take, take care. You too. Uh, hey, easy. I'm moving. I'm going. All right. Uh, Good afternoon, it is 510, it's Hamilton Today, it's an all-request Friday, I'm Scott Thompson, Will Erskine on the board. Uh, You want to hear 30 seconds of your favorite? Feel free, send us a note, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com, and the phone lines are always open at 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. Uh, I am so happy today uh, that, number one, John Horgan, BC NDP Premier, is doing well. He looks a little... Well, he looks like he's just gone through a bout of cancer, uh, but he's looking pretty good. And, uh, and he was out today, uh, well, I guess he, uh, he came out of the hospital a few days ago and was making an appearance, but back at work today and very much leading, uh, the charge on a virtual call with all of the provinces, all of the premiers. And here we go again, asking for more federal funding for the healthcare system. And, you know, I, I've been beating this drum for, well, since Christmas, I think, when we all realized this was no longer the lockdowns and the restrictions. It was no longer protecting us from COVID. It was protecting a very much neglected healthcare system, uh, that the healthcare workers for decades have been screaming for help. And even at the beginning of this, you know, we didn't want to acknowledge it. Whenever I would bring it up, nobody would even talk about it. We're so busy patting ourselves on the back, thinking our health system is so great because it's universal that we don't want to look at the flaws we don't want to look at the weak links that have been exposed during a global pandemic we don't want to listen to healthcare workers and what they are saying and what they need and what they are looking for to keep you and i healthy and again what's disgusted me with all of the, the 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 crap around the protests and stuff is why is it even gotten to this point when we have gotten so many people vaccinated. We're supposed to be celebrating this. Instead, we're picking on the couple that aren't because they don't agree with us. And we're neglecting the biggest problem of all, which is Canada's crumbling healthcare system, which receives it used to receive at one time half 50 50 funding from the province and the feds. And now the feds are playing somewhere between 22, 23 percent. And yet they boast about uh, a coming health care, a uh, pharmacare system, uh, coming he- a coming dental plan, uh, daycare. At what point do they renege on those transfer payments like they have with health care? Uh, and kudos to John Horgan, B.C. Premier, for standing up and saying this today.
9: Of course, the global pandemic has tested us all. It has strained our public health care systems right across the country. And all 13 premiers agree. We need a significant long term increase in funding from the federal government to meet the challenges of coming out of the pandemic and ensuring that the services that people expect and deserve in Canada are uniform from coast to coast to coast. We need to work on a pathway to come together on a first minister's meeting to increase the Canada health transfer. That has been the focus of the premiers for over two years now, and it's an urgent need. Uh, it holds true whether you are facing a global pandemic or not. It holds true now more than ever because we know as premiers that we need to be accountable for the services we provide and we need to do that in a way that meets the requirements of the Canada Health Act. When our partnership for health care, public health care in Canada began, it was more or less a 50-50 proposition. But over the past 50 years, we've seen an erosion of federal funding to the point now where it is in some cases only 22% of the total funding needed to provide services. That means the provinces are picking up the rest of that funding and that is not sustainable. We all agree, we need a rebalancing of funding to ensure that we can provide the services that people depend upon. The past two years have been challenging for all of us, and people from different political stripes have approached this in different ways. But as premiers, over these past two years, we have focused on seeing the increase in funding from Ottawa go from the 22% it is now up to 35% so that we can meet the challenges coming out of the pandemic and, of course, the demands and expectations of our citizens wherever they may be.
0: All right. There you have it. Uh, John Horgan, uh, Premier of British Columbia, speaking on behalf of all of the premiers right the way across the country, uh, asking for a a change in the funding formula from the federal government in order to sustain all of the health care systems. Uh, stop fighting about the 10 percent that aren't vaccinated. Fix the health care system. 100 percent vaccination rate will not fix healthcare it's time we focus on that did you get up early did you watch uh the opening ceremony of uh Beijing Olympics uh it kind of looks different because there's no people there and everybody's in in a bubble and um and then the rest are all wearing some sort of hazmat gear. Uh, let's bring in Taylor McKee, assistant professor, sports management expert in Olympic history and historical uh, Olympian, uh, historical Olympic history. I guess that's what it would mean. Uh, and is with uh, Brock University. I messed that up. Taylor, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. Thanks so much for having me. So what are you uh, your thoughts on, and before we actually talk about the Olympics themselves and, and where we are with the opening ceremonies and such, what is your feeling, your thoughts as we finally get to the opening of this Games and everything that preceded the opening?
2: Definitely a surreal, um, somewhat dystopian uh, vibe hmm. surrounding these Olympics, for sure. It
0: is a little bizarre, you, isn't it?
2: It is. You know, you've seen a lot of the images coming out of there, and in my My thoughts really are with those athletes that are that are there on the ground and having to endure uh, truly hellish conditions sometimes. I mean, everyone's trying their best, but uh, I think, again, from a from a fan's perspective, from someone watching the, the games, I mean, it seems like we just had an Olympics as well. And on top of that, there's there's a lot of political controversy surrounding these games as well. So certainly not a conventional atmosphere surrounding these Olympics, that's for sure. What's
0: it like for the athletes? And and you know, I can only imagine. We can only imagine what it's like to go through your life training for something, uh, all your life for for this moment, and, and especially the intensity of the the last four years for them. But then to go and have to deal with and, and I mean, it's always been held in different places. There's always been political issues, what have you. But once, with obviously, with the global pandemic, it's it's really created the ultimate bubble. How much pressure does that put on the athlete? Whether it's getting tested all the time or there was shots of a uh, one poor athlete, I believe, from a Scandinavian country who tested positive, and she was put into, like, uh, intense isolation. What's that like for them?
2: Gosh, you know, I can't even imagine. I can't fathom how tricky that would be right now, where you work your entire lives, and and depending on the cycle of the games, you don't know if these are going to be the only Olympics you get a shot at. Um, You don't know. And, again, you have no say in where the games are held or the conditions uh, upon when when you arrive there. It's just really... Truly unfair uh, from from an athlete's perspective, and, and we're we're asking a lot of them right now. Not just to endure the COVID conditions, but we're asking a lot of them as representatives of Canada. You know, we we hold diplomatic boycotts, and we essentially say, well, we can't, you know, in good conscience go, but but you can go draped in the flag, and, and you can go be mm. our our representatives there. And it's it's very 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 tricky to ask these athletes to to bear that kind of burden on top of everything you just mentioned there with the testing regimens.
0: Do you feel that they're safe there, whether it's from uh, the virus or just security reasons?
2: You know, gosh, who knows? I mean, the virus situation, I think there's a pretty good handle on that. It seems like the protocols Mm -hmm. seem like they're in place. We've had an Olympics in Tokyo to sort of get our feet under us. I think from the security point of view, it is important to to take ourselves uh, back in time and and recall that we had an Olympics in 2002 uh, in the shadow of 9-11. We've had Olympics in 1968 right. in absolutely uh, very fraught conditions in Mexico City and the Toledical Massacre that occurred days before the opening of the Games. You can go back all the way through history. There's always been uh, security risks. Uh, that's something important to keep in mind, too. So those of us that are you know, saying, well, we should just ignore you know, political context and just focus on the Games. Well, most Games, if not all Games, have a yeah. very, very, very distinct political flavor to them no matter where they're held.
0: Alright, uh, it seems we've been talking more about that than the actual athletes. Uh, what stands out? Who are you looking at? Who are you watching? Where could we medal in these games?
2: Oh, goodness. I mean, there's so many choices right now. I mean, the women's hockey team is, mm. is a, a constant uh, must watch. I mean, you see them playing in their first game against the Swiss. It, that's obviously something that uh, there's more of a tune-up game for them. There's so many players that I think the Canadians have had a little bit of a better chance to get to know recently with, with some of the more widely televised events. But if you can get a chance to watch the women play, I mean, they're playing Finland, which is a very, very tough game. Finland, Canada, the United States are in kind of a, a tier Sweden's in that tier as well. But But the women's hockey and mixed doubles curling is extremely fun to watch. I mean, no matter what your feelings on curling are, if you can get a chance to watch mixed doubles curling, which is not always on on widely televised, uh, event, one of the widely televised curling events, watch it. It's an absolute riot. It's so much fun. What, to Watch. Whoa, whoa, watch whoa
0: Taylor, talk about that. What is mixed doubles curling? It sounds like something you, know, you do on a Saturday night.
2: It, I mean, it, it is. In many ways, it is. It's 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 two competitors, two curlers, and uh, you sweep your own rocks. And it's highly timed and it's very, very quick and it's very intense. you got to make split second decisions. I mean, perhaps I mean I don't know what your disposition is towards curling, but maybe you think to yourself, wow, oh, it's a little slow. It's a little plodding. There's a lot of timeouts, a lot of people discussing various shots. The commentators are always experts and they're using words you don't understand. <laughs> Mixed doubles is like make a call, throw a rock, hustle your butt down the ice. It is really, really, really fast and extremely fun
0: uh what do you think uh and again i'm asking you to look into a crystal ball here but as these co- games come to an end as we get through these games uh will it just be celebrating what the at what the athletes have done or w- do you think we're going to see political overtones i mean the president of china and the president of russia shoulder to shoulder in a uh, a picture today as we have the opening ceremonies Wh- what do you think we're going to be talking about as we get into the uh, closing ceremonies
2: Again, it, it, from a purely athletic standpoint, we are going to celebrate the accomplishments of athletes. That's what we do during the Olympics. Mm-hmm. We, we, and the idea that you can only have one of these are mutually exclusive concepts is a fraud idea to begin with. We're going to celebrate the, the accomplishments of the athletes and acknowledge the unbelievably tricky situation they've been placed in. And you can also say that we, the game shouldn't have been there. Or you can even have all of these opinions at once and still enjoy yourselves watching the game and and be fortunate enough that we can watch the games all at all times. And certainly the time zone doesn't make this easier, but I think the Canadians are extremely fortunate in their ability to just watch the games, absorb them, but we don't have to forget about the fact that the Olympics have very serious issues attached to them and need to make themselves more appealing to countries that uh, are, are conscious with their spending.
0: And good point, Taylor. The fact that these are going on and moving forward, it doesn't mean that we're ignoring these issues. Uh, That's for sure. Taylor McKee with us, assistant professor, sports management, expert in Olympic history, uh, Brock University. Taylor, thanks for the time. Enjoy the games. Thanks so much for having me. What matters to you? What matters to Hamilton matters to Scott. You're
1: listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson.
0: On Hamilton's News, today's talk.
1: 900 CHML.
0: I think tonight would be a good night to get everybody screeched in doesn't matter what province you're in. Let's spread the love of Newfoundland and kiss the cod today. Unite us all. Uh, it is 536, it's 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. It's Hamilton today. Will Erskine on the board. Joining us, please, Tim Powers, chairman of Summa Strategies, managing director of Abacus Data, and is in Ottawa and is with us now. Tim, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Oh,
10: Scott, I'm fine, but I wouldn't bring any black rum down to, down to <laughs> Mount Wellington Street down there now. I gotta tell you, I was saying to Will before he put me on air, I was down there earlier this morning because I had an appointment. Our office is also down there, but I haven't been down in that area this week for obvious reasons and it's, it's a lot of tension. In uh, a lot of times, it's it's tough down there now.
0: So, so let me ask you, Tim. Like, uh, this has gone on for an awfully long time, and I'm not quite certain why this wasn't taken more seriously earlier on. But that's behind us now. Uh, 100 and uh, they're saying 150 officers, whatever. More more RCMP coming in uh, over the course of the weekend. Is is anybody talking to anybody? Is anybody uh, working the back doors here trying to find out a peaceful solution? About this what is the way out here tim if nobody seems to be talking to each other
10: well yeah. neither you nor i are unless you're undercover and you really are a policing hmm. expert scott uh, uh look I, I i can only tell you what i, I hear and, and see here from our local reporting and uh, the police the, the police in this case the Ottawa police service have had dialogue and continue to have dialogue with different Supposed leaders, but I think there's a disparate hardcore group here now. And I think the police are trying to figure out what to do with them. Thus, why Chief Slowly, the Ottawa police chief, announced the surge and containment strategy, if the words sound familiar. They, I think, are borrowed from uh, what happened in in Iraq when they were trying to deal with some insurgents in in Baghdad. That's apparently what the comparison is. I don't know if it's a good or a bad comparison because you can take that in a whole bunch of different directions if you want. But. I think what they're trying to do now, Scott, is stop people from getting, uh, there's supposedly three to 400 trucks on the way down here. They're trying to stop them from coming downtown. I think yeah. that was a big mistake last week that they made, because they have all these 18 wheelers parked in front of parliament. They're trying to keep the so-called hard core. So the ones who stayed yeah. after last week, about 250 in what they're now calling the red zone, which effectively is Wellington street in front of parliament. I, I think you know. I think they're going to start executing more warrants and placing more char- arresting more people, uh, because I can tell you the residents of the city, as you no doubt know, are frustrated beyond belief with the with mm. this group, and they're also frustrated with the police because they, and fairly or unfairly, they they don't think this has been handled well so far.
0: Uh, that was my next question. How would you grade uh, the mayor of Ottawa on this? And, y- you know, I'll be honest. I-, I-, I thought his reactions were just stating the obvious. We want you to go home. This isn't acceptable. All the things that we know, and <laughs> we've said for the last week, but nothing really as far as a solution. H- how would you grade his his performance on this? They didn't seem to take it very seriously.
10: Wait, and again... Uh- I don't know if the mayor, I don't know who precisely is to blame. So let's not just make it about the yep. mayor. I think the executive leadership of the city uh, has a lot of people angry at them because of what we now have. And I, I I'll borrow a term from Doug Ford, which I don't often do. It is an occupation. As I say. when I went down mm-hmm. there today, there are people living out of their trucks, their having bomb fires you know if if you as an ottawa resident did any of the things that these protesters are doing down there i can tell you you'd be ticketed and charged quicker than you can blink your eye and that's the the criticism that's come forward from ottawa residents because we know what policing and bylaw have been like for us so Right now, the only saving grace, I think, in terms again of the Ottawa public's reaction to the executive leadership of the city, uh, is there has been no bloodshed and there's been no violence. Um, but if that's the and pa- maybe that's enough of the passing grade. But right now, uh, it's uh, yeah, the, the executive leadership of the city is not viewed positively at all.
0: Um, do you think that this is something they're going to disassemble over the weekend? I mean, is it? Do you think there's going to be like a, all of a sudden boom? They surge on something and well, and or is this something they work from the outside in and and just piecemeal it bit by bit?
10: Well, the problem is these trucks. So apparently, yeah. and this, the police are apparently looking into this police, and this is, was reported by a CFRA, a well-known radio station here of, of another network, as you know, in Ottawa. Um, they were reporting earlier that the police were unable to get any private towing companies to, do, uh, to sign up to do any... Oh, work. man. They're not, they're not sure why. <laughs> Now, removing an 18-wheeler, uh, as you can imagine, yeah, as the audience money. can imagine, doesn't require a regular tow truck. It requires a very specific tow truck. Yep. We, in the city, apparently have some, but not lots. I heard it just reported a moment ago, but it's not double-sourced, that that it may take you know three hours to remove one truck. So, oh, man. multiply that, you've all seen the pictures of all the trucks that are here, so... <laughs> You know, there, there's arresting people uh, and there's moving people off and then there's moving trucks. Uh, they could start now and it probably wouldn't be done till next week if it went in an orderly fashion. So it's, it's not easy. And, and I think that is, is what you're seeing in Toronto, what you're seeing in Quebec City, what you're seeing elsewhere is a recognition that where Ottawa for sure got it wrong was letting these trucks r- block up the main arteries. Because they are weapons uh, and they're impediments to uh, free movement.
0: Well, any any thoughts if they will leave Ottawa and just stop at any of these other cities on the way home?
10: They could. I mean, they seem to be. I, look, I think they think they've had some political victories already, right? Or they're finding them where they can. They're a bit like politicians already. The, the Aaron O'Toole stepping down as leader uh scott moe saying a day ago the premier of uh, saskatchewan that his mandates are coming to an end uh they feel empowered and like they have nothing to lose so nothing would surprise me at the moment um uh, but i mean it's so odd here right now scott that you have some of the left wing members of the city council are calling on the police to use more aggressive to be more aggressive in their policing. Who would have ever thought that in Ottawa? That's yeah. how high the level of frustration <laughs> is here. Oh
0: man. And and did they give uh did the left give any advice on how they're supposed to do that or is that just up to the police, I guess? No, and, and look,
10: you, you and I know, the listeners know, the police are going to tell us some things for public consumption. But they're never going to tell us when they're going to run an operation.
0: And yeah, and you know, to. I think it's pretty safe to say, as far as uh, Scott Moe and such, all all of the restrictions are scheduled to end over time. Well, they're as, all going to end, anyway. They're exactly. all going to end I mean, anyway. So what's what's the what's the negotiating not part? Uh, providing yeah, things I mean, stay yeah, healthy, yeah, we're I mean, moving forward. The side of this, I know you got to go in a second,
10: but look, love or hate Justin Trudeau or any of these leaders, Justin Trudeau all of a sudden goes down and meets with these truckers. What does that say to others? All right, just come to Ottawa. Occupy Ottawa. Do the same well, as I as honestly,
0: honestly, Tim, if you were going to do that, he should have done that a week ago. I mean, yeah. honestly, I do believe that you know whether he goes down or he sends somebody down, uh, that he does in fact arrange a meeting. It doesn't have to be in front of a Kenworth; it could be in some private place of some sort, some secure position. But that should have been done uh, days ago, not not at this stage of the point. But again, I, again, you know, if you don't resolve these things, it ends up as the counselor said, in in just you know, kicking an ass. And taking names, and I, and I don't think that's what anybody wants to see happen here.
10: No, and as uh, yes, I was joking, because you got to find humor in all of this. It's too bad Jean Chrétien's not around. You remember his protest on flat? Yeah, right, many, many years ago when he took matters into his own hands, but. Look, again, I do feel for the police and the world in which we live. It's harder yeah. to do policing. Yeah. It's harder to do all of this. You know if there are going to be more aggressive action. There's going to be cameras and video everywhere, and they may do the job as best mm-hmm. they can. And you can see civil suits and everything else coming. The, the way to end this, Scott, maybe be this GoFundMe money. Uh, that this tent, whatever's left in there that hasn't been given out, I think they gave out a million bucks for gas, gets frozen. And there appears to be legitimate questions that can be asked about it because the new suggestion coming from people here in the policing community is to make life terribly uncomfortable for the protesters before you do anything. So take off their money, keep them contained in one area. Maybe they'll realize uh, they're going to get a win if they want it anyway in about a month or two months when most of the province bring down their negotiations and go home and nobody gets hurt.
0: Tim Powers, Chairman, Super Strategies, Managing Director of Abacus Data. Have yourself a great uh, weekend, Tim, and uh, hope you get uh, some success. Yeah, sleep.
10: Scott, yeah, you too with all the air horns blowing. We're sending them down your way. You can handle all it right. for Tiger Cast games, but not down here, right. I tell you. Anyway.
0: All right, <laughs> thanks, Tim. <laughs> You know, I'm all for inclusion, but that one even gets me, and that proves that pretty much anybody uh, who uh, is successful in recording gets in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which really is the Pop Music Hall of Fame, but I guess it all started with the origins of rock and roll, so there we go. All right. Uh, let's bring in Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show, columnist with your Hamilton Spectator. He is with us now. Scott, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. I am, but i got to take issue with what you just said Because I wish you were right Because I, I with you, the Dolly Parton thing I, mean, I love when you Dol- challenge me, Scott
11: I do, but look, Dolly Parton is great No one's arguing against that, but not Rock and Roll Hall of Fame But when you said everybody gets in Alright, the guess who Oh, I
0: know. And, and I know, and I know where Fame. else you're going with this
11: Boston is not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Kansas is not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame
0: Kansas People- should not be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame They had one hit carry on Wayward Son Please. Oh, they had
11: lots of hits Dust in the Wind. Uh, look, they, they got lots of songs. But <laughs> Meatloaf, we just heard for the last week about how impactful on the world of music Meatloaf was. He's so not in a it. billion albums not in there. I didn't know it that. Took, it took how many years to convince the morons who run the place that Rush deserved to be
0: in the rock and roll. Hall yes. Of yeah, and
11: finally. now they're talking about putting Beck in? Come on. Oh,
0: Come on. man, you're getting Will riled uh, up. We just had this argument off air. That's why he played Beck, to get back in me.
11: Uh, you know what? I just... I. Look, it's a, it, it, First of all, it's completely misnamed, as you pointed out, because I don't mind Dolly Parton being in the Music Hall of Fame, but are you going to put Kiss into the Country Music Hall of Fame? They no, but I think twice? you know.
0: And, and again, being being a purist, and and I must say, I'm a bit of a historian when it comes to rock and roll. Uh, that's where it started. So I'm guessing that's the you know. And then out of that, uh, you know, Wait by, the, second, time, the, six, by the time the by the time we got into the...
11: rock and roll didn't inspire country. Country was one of the influences on rock and roll
0: absolutely i didn't i didn't i don't disagree with that whatsoever whatsoever uh rock and roll rockabilly came from the merging of country swing and black rhythm and blues um but but again i i you know that's what the origins of pop music were in the day rock and roll when it started yeah, say so in pop, 1955 pop music hall of fame. yeah it, I mean, it, it has become that that's for sure
11: you're going to put Divo but many, in many before the guess who
0: we we had a lot of people started uh, debating this when rap artists started getting inducted into the hall yeah, right so yeah. i guess it's been you know it's behind us now uh, but guess who that is a surprise I, I i'd like to see them in
11: iron maiden not in there if that's another one there's a whole list i, I went to the whole list last night on the show and it was
0: not the whole list
11: i mean there's other bands too but it it's stunning who is not in there and yet ben Ringo maybe there should be
0: twice. maybe there should be a hall for those who didn't get in
11: that would be maybe in some cases more interesting but anyway
0: <laughs> that's carry on. what i'm thinking all right uh we're almost out of time uh what, what is on the show tonight
11: we well, we got lots of stuff. It's Friday. It's the brightest conversation in Hamilton Radio. Right. politics to your show, which you know yes. is very, very close. No, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you can take it. But uh, no, we're, we we got lots of uh, lots of different issues from the sublime to the ridiculous to be to be getting through from politics to. Um, did you hear about? By the way, well, we'll talk about this one early, but probably the worst case scenario for childbirth. And, and now I have not given birth. Clearly, I've been there for birth. Uh. A uh, woman on a plane halfway from Africa to England, I think it was. Halfway, or Washington, Africa to Washington, D.C., I think it was. So oh, you can't go back, and you no. can't hurry up and get forward. It goes into labor in the middle of the flight. Wow. And thankfully, there was a doctor on board. Unfortunately, he was a dermatologist so <laughs> <in> the <Midwest. laughs> he Jumped in and was oh, able to help. Oh, so man. Could you think about, like, if your wife was pregnant... And she, this woman, apparently, it was a little early. Uh, could you think yeah. of a more disastrous, frightening, terrifying yeah. way? I to could, just, have I your could child? just see the husband now.
0: Yeah. Now?
11: Well, this, <laughs> You're kidding that's me. why he had gone to all the childbirth lessons because when they caught the breathing, it wasn't for her, it was for him.
0: (laughs) Really? Yeah. (laughs) I could see that, man. Wow, kudos (laughs) to them. Good luck. And everybody on the plane, too. I'm sure there was applause not only when the plane landed, but also when the birth was announced. Uh, Good for them. And free little bottles of vodka for everybody. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's right. Roll out the bar cart. Uh, (laughs) Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show, columnist with your Hamilton Spectator, coming up after the 6 o'clock news. Thank you, Scott. Have fun. Have a great weekend. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. That's a wrap for the show. Thanks to Will for producing. Coming up next, the Scott Radley Show. Have yourself a great weekend. As always, we leave it to you, the great CHML listener, to have the last word.
6: I find it very interesting that uh,
11: the way the government has reacted to the situation in Ottawa, Uh, I don't parallel the situations, but I think about the people of Caledonia that went through basically the same thing for two years. Our government just does not know how to respond to the masses in opposition.
3: Have a good weekend!